8 to 10 p.m. The Viewpoint with Ashraf Garda. The Viewpoint with Ashraf Garda. Lots of people absolutely enjoyed that uh, that, that previous uh, interview, of course, right? And, and I hope you like that, right? Uh, by the way, uh, we'll have a podcast up of that tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock, so look out for that. I think it's really important. And uh, you can pick up some of the comments we've had even on social media, and you can certainly follow the guests that we had uh, previously. I'm talking about uh, Lebokong uh, Ramofoko, the CEO of the Seoul City Institute, saying some really important issues. Let's get from one important issue to another important issue. By the way, Lee Nike we had yesterday, well, he just tweeted um, his talk on the future of work, his article on the future of work. So pick it up. I've just retweeted Pick it up on my timeline as well. Uh, it's the future of work as discussed on IT Web. A fascinating discussion and some important links about well, how you should approach that. Okay, let's get to another big issue. Myanmar or Burma, we all know about that. Uh, and the problems around a particular community, the Rohingya people, and, and what's happened to them and, and where does South Africa fit into all of this? Now, you may be aware that, what, a few weeks ago we had a guest coming in here from Amnesty uh, South Africa who spoke about the fact that, uh, that a massive humanitarian award given to uh, Aung San Suu Kyi, uh, leader of Myanmar, uh, and at one stage uh, imprisoned person, freedom fighter, uh, and, and a fantastic award given to her was, was removed because of her A, indifference, at the very least to the people uh, of uh, the Rohingya people of Myanmar, and on the other hand, uh, possible absolute support as well for what appears to be massive human rights atrocities. So that's what we spoke about three weeks ago. Now, two South African females have been to Bangladesh, which is next door uh, to Myanmar. They both are advocates, if I can get that right. Uh, Shabna Mayat, who's the from the Protect the Rohingya campaign, and Tasim Fredericks, who's an attorney. So both of them are uh, notary public and conveyancer, but very importantly, also the what deputy president of the Black Management Forum. We need to get you in one of the other days some other time. So Shabna Mayat, thanks for your time. Uh, Tasim Fredericks, appreciate you joining us as well. Thank, Thank you. you. For Let, us. Let's start with you, Thank Shabnam. You. So both of you went to Bangladesh, and I understand that it's not the first time you go, right? Why do you go there? What are you going to do there? Okay, so Protect the Rohingya began in 2012, and the whole idea was to raise awareness around the Rohingya situation. So um, we're based locally, and we have a whole lot of projects. You know, we we assist um, students who are writing about the Rohingya. We have country tours, but we also have projects in the camps. Last year was our first um, project in the camps where we documented um, more than 50 affidavits to be used by international legal teams who wanted to take forward the issue of the Rohingya in their national jurisdictions. And this year we did a winter school in the camps. And um, the winter school was all about giving adult um, adult students the opportunity to have a university experience because since 2012 Rohingya have not been allowed to go to university, but also to leave them with some practical skills. And, and these people, we talk about the, the Rohingya people, so they in fact from Myanmar, right. Myanmar, Burma, but you talk the people you're referring to are actually in Bangladesh, okay? Yeah. So just just rewind in terms of why are they there in the first place? What has happened to them? Okay. So the Rohingya trace their existence in um, Arakan State in Rohingya um, in Myanmar, on the border of Bangladesh, for 800 years. 
Um, what happened is um, colonization, and subsequently the Rakhines were on the side of the British, the Rohingya fought, uh, I mean, on the side of the Japanese, the Rohingyas fought on the side of the British. Since then, there's been an acrimonious relationship. However, in 1962, uh, military junta took over the country, and then in 1978 was the first operation. It was called the Dragon King Operation, where 200,000 Rohingya were forced across the border into Bangladesh um, for the hope of creating a pure society. Then in 1982, um, the citizenship law uh, basically revoked all Rohingya citizenship. So even though they're 5% of the population, they had no citizenship at all. And then in 91... Although, again, they, although they were born there. Yes, and mm-hmm. yes, of course yes. They, yeah. they were part of the government. They had, uh, you know, part of the education system. Then again in 1992, uh, they were chased across the border. Um, again um, in 2012, there was violence again in 2016. And then the worst of the crackdowns was last August when 800,000 were forced um, to flee their homes. More than 350 villages were razed to the ground. There were mass rapes, gang rapes, women raped to death, arbitrary killing. Um, helicopter gunfire, opening you know, opening fire in villages, um, mass slaughter, and that's basically when um, the world started to focus okay, on the so issue. Okay, so eight hundred thousand la- last year left. Right? Uh, just as by who? I mean, you talk about this this violence, Shabnam Baba, uh, and, and, and listed all of them, but but who, who's to, who's committing all these crimes? Well, it's the, mainly the Myanmar military and then the extreme Buddhists. So they kind of work in collaboration. Um, because they live in villages where Buddhists live on one side. There's massive uh, segregation. This is apartheid in motion. So the Buddhists live on one side of the village and the Muslim uh, Rohingya live on the other side. So they don't mix in any event. Okay, so hold it. What, what, some of them are the Buddhist, uh, well, the Buddhist faith and, and this grouping called the, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the Rohingya are effectively, they just happen to be members of the Islamic faith. Yes. Okay, right. And they live side by side. Well, so they live separately in any event because, I mean, Shabnam's just indicated the history of the country. And, um, you know, when we when we visited the camps last year, I mean, it, 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 it stretches for like thousands of kilometers. Um, and it's under it's run by the Bangladeshi military. So it's, it's very regulated in a sense. And when we drove through, I mean, it looks very established. Um, and we were told that the, the first camp started in 1978. So this is not a new issue. Um, they've, you know, there were 200,000 who fled in 78 and basically never returned because they knew that there was no hope of a better mm-hmm. life. So the raising of, I mean, when we took the affidavits last year, we had first-hand accounts from the people saying how they were, you know, cooking one day and then they heard gunshots and then they smelled smoke and then, you know, the military started um, rushing into their homes and started, you know, harassing uh, the women. And, and, and the main thing was also that they used the uh, Buddhists who lived in the communities mm. to identify the affluent Rohingya. So they knew which homes to target for money, for gold, etc. And I think, you know, th- this is the human side of the story that we don't get when we think of refugees. We don't think that they have a story and a life. That We don't think like you and I, mm. they mm. had jobs and they were affluent and they drove big cars, etc. But, but that's reality. And now they're living in abject poverty, um, but, but, but having fled because they basically ran for their lives. Well, and, and then... Shabnam, let's talk about this. The references made to the to the Buddhists, but how much of this is is done by people within the country or done by the actual Myanmar government? Okay, so um, now the you know the fact finding mission, the UN fact finding mission in August, put out their report, and they very. very 
um, strongly stated that it was not just the Myanmar military, it's also the current government led by Aung San Suu Kyi for their silence uh, in the face of this genocide. It is also Rakhine Buddhists, and you must remember that Theravada Buddhists has a very strong following in the country, and monks like Wiratu was named uh, the Buddhist Bin Laden, he was on the cover of Time, and basically what they do is they stoke this hatred, you know, they, they use social media, and the fact-finding mission even uh, specifically pointed to Facebook and said that it was used to stoke hatred because the military actually went on and made hundreds of accounts which it used to uh, push the military agenda because Facebook in essence is um, the internet in Myanmar and mm. Facebook actually apologized and said you know they would try better in the future um, and so the the you know, the way we look at Buddhism uh, is a very Hollywood notion of it, I think. And that's been one of the reasons why it's been so difficult for Which people. Which is what? Placid, peaceful? Placid, peaceful, okay. nonviolent. Right. And and so I think that's why the, uh, I mean, it's, it's not the faith specifically. It's the people who practice that faith in that region. And it's been extremely violent. They've been lobbying government for um, racist policies to be passed. They've been, you know, they called Yang He Lee all sorts of expletives. And she is the special rapporteur from the UN. And she had to leave the country early. They, they go around protesting that Rohingya don't exist. And they exert a lot of power because they have a great following within the country. Okay. And, and your thoughts, Tasneem, is that is, is it at, the, at its core, is it about ethnic cleansing, to get rid of people, uh, to, to literally push them out of the country? I, I think ethnic cleansing is the word that's been used. But when you look, when you look at the definition of genocide, it goes beyond ethnic cleansing. And I think it's important that we actually call it what it is and we don't get the definition wrong. Because if we look at the definition and we see... Um, if we look at the definition of ethnic cleansing as opposed to the, gen the definition of genocide, there are four elements of genocide that, that the Rohingya have undergone. Um, you know, it, it's a deliberate effort, um, not just to ethnically cleanse, but, but it's an intended deliberate issue to, to prevent births within the group. And if you look at the laws that the Myanmar government enacted in terms of forced sterilization of, you know, not, as a Rohingya, you're not allowed to get, to get married without permission. So... It's it's worse than ethnic cleansing if I if I can if I can put it that so way. So you're calling it genocide? Definitely ongoing. Okay, Shabnamai. So the international fact find independent fact finding mission for the UN has called it genocide. All sorts of organisations have called it genocide. Um, the US State Department. Um, actually went in and investigated around a thousand people. Organizations that worked with the State Department are calling it genocide. The State Department itself has not called it genocide yet. Various international leaders, the, the President of France, have, have called it genocide. But you must remember that when we say the word genocide, then that means that international convention kicks into place. And because of that, people or countries are hesitant because then they're going to be forced to act. Okay, and, and you made the point uh, earlier on, we'll, we'll get a representative from Durko in a moment, you made the point earlier on that it was only last year that the international community effectively started acting in some way, whereas in the past, these things were happening, but, but not much was done about it, right? Why, why do you think that was the case? Well, I think it was only after the 2016, the 2012 violence, people started to take note, and then the violence in 2016, you know, 100,000 people were forced to leave their homes, and there was a major crackdown by the military. Last year's, of course, was the worst. I mean, um, journalists who were covering the issue um, stood at the border uh, of Bangladesh, and they just filmed uh, aerially thousands and thousands of people crossing per day. In fact, this year alone, already 17,000 more people have crossed oh, wow. into Bangladesh. Well, I certainly want to find out about what actually happens in, in these various camps uh, out in Bangladesh at Cox Bazaar and certainly in, in that particular region that you referred to in uh, Myanmar. We'll do that in a moment. I also want to get the 
thoughts from South Africa's international relations, South Africa's position, and we'll do that in a moment. Your thoughts are, as always, welcome. You know that. 0891-104207. If you're up to tweeting, you can do that. Hashtag SFM Viewpoint. Tag me, Ashraf Ganda, and you can also tag SFM Radio. Um, and uh, you'll also pick out, uh, in terms of our our guests, you'll, you'll pick out their names on my timeline, but also look out uh, for uh, some of the other comments that may come through. But we'll get to the representative from, uh, from Durko next up. SABC Sports celebrates a hero in two episodes on Playing for the Coach. The story of a player who later became a heroic coach comes full circle. All eyes are on Clive Barker in both the seventh and eighth episodes. This Sunday, the seventh episode focuses on the first half journey of Clive the Dark Barker. And the second half continues in the eighth episode on Sunday, the 23rd of December. Playing for the coach. This Sunday on SABC One at 2.30 p.m. Brought to you by SABC Sport. For the love of the game. SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. Leading the conversation. Right, we're talking about, uh, well, most historically, we talk about it as Burma, Myanmar, and then a specific, well, two things that are important, Aung San Suu Kyi. Many people have read her story and known about the, known about the fantastic award she's, which she's received globally because of a fight against oppression. But now she's a, she's a prominent leader in that country. And now, as the leader of the country, there are human rights atrocities uh, that are being committed in the name of her country and people, and particularly the people of the, the Rohingya people, uh, bear the brunt of that just about exclusively, and they've been effectively shifted out to neighboring Bangladesh. So what's the South African position with regards to this? On the line is the minister spokesperson at International Relations, which is Derko, and that's uh, Indi Vuyo Mabaya. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your time. Most appreciated. Hello. Good evening and good evening to your guests and your listeners. Thank you. Right. So I understand there was a a critical UN vote that was taken a few weeks back. South Africa had a certain position then. There's another position now. Explain what's happened to South Africa. I think when that uh, vote was taken, our diplomats, um, as you now know, abstained. And they provided reasons why they had abstained. The minister then uh, called them back to Pretoria and he discussed with them together with other stakeholders uh, when it comes to the current situation in that country. The decision to abstain was based on a previous decision that was taken at that point after an assessment that was done. And mainly South Africa has been very wary of a country-specific uh, resolution particularly after Libya, so that those uh, resolutions are not abused for regime change and a number of other things. But when we assessed the situation, we then, uh, the minister then directed the diplomats that when this vote comes in the General Assembly, which is coming uh, in the next week, uh, they must then uh, support the resolution. Uh, and... The minister also used the opportunity at the IORA conference, which is the association that represents all countries that are uh, bordering the Indian Ocean, to indicate our position. Mm-hmm. We also objected to Myanmar becoming a member of that uh, 
uh, organization until they address all of these things. Okay. So the minister has been very clear that uh, where human rights have been violated, South Africa must stand firm and be counted uh, among those who say this cannot be done in our name. And I understand, I mean, that resolution, the draft resolution, which is the one where South Africa abstained, was uh, effectively looking at the issue of human rights abuses in, in that uh, country, right? So the, the next vote, the one that South Africa will vote for, will, will come up soon, right? Uh, there was certainly a tremendous surprise from many people that South Africa had abstained. Okay, you, you've explained the reasons behind it now. Uh, for many people, it's a case of, thank goodness, you've changed on that one there. What, however, is South Africa's assessment of, of what's going on in Myanmar and what can South Africa, uh, as largely a moral voice in the world, can what can South Africa do about it? Our initial assessment, which made us to uh, change our vote and to support the resolution, is that there are challenges in that country. The government has some responsibility in ensuring that some of the human rights violations that are taking place there should not take place. We actually believe that the government can do more to make sure that some of the things that are taking place in that country do not uh, uh, take place. And uh, through diplomatic means, we have been engaging with with that country to make sure that they understand our position, that we are concerned about how they are treating some of their citizens. We think they can treat them better. And it is for that reason that the minister said the current assessment that has been done But also what is important about this uh, resolution and this vote is that it has given us an opportunity to recall all our diplomats who are across the world, who vote for us in Geneva Mm -hmm. and in New York, to assess all the previous uh, decisions that we have taken in relation to different issues, particularly uh, when it comes to human rights violations. And the message is very clear, South Africa will always be on the side of those who are defending human rights. Well, I think most people will be absolutely thrilled to hear that. Has there been direct contact between South Africa and the and the Myanmar government? There has been a diplomatic uh, interaction. Uh, our diplomats have been in touch with the diplomats. Actually, our deputy minister who visited Thailand was planning to pass there. Um, so there is uh, interaction, as you are aware. Um, uh, Myanmar is a country that we are very, we have got very good diplomatic relations with. We engage with them in a number of other platforms. So we have been engaging with them. But we have now been very clear that um, we, it has arrived at a stage where we think that um, more action must be taken by the democratically elected government to protect its citizens from human rights violations and to also account for some of the activities that have taken there. Well, you're certainly going to vote for declaring, uh, in this case here, Myanmar, a, a state or a country that commits, uh, you know, uh, crimes, human, human rights abuses, right? So do I take it, therefore, then, moving forward, your, your very good relations with Myanmar may not be very good any longer? You know what? We believe that uh, because we um, we have good friends, it is important that we as the friend of my mamas ask the difficult question. We as the friend of my mamas engage with them diplomatically because we believe that they can address this issue, they can find a solution to this issue. The democratic government can do more to make sure that this is resolved. So the, 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 the relations will continue. We'll continue to work with them to find solutions. And uh, on the other side, we'll continue to point to them as their friends where human rights violations can place that we do not agree with you as our friends, 
We think you can do better. Okay, well, appreciate you giving off your time. That's uh, Indivuo Mabaya, the Minister Spokesperson at Durko. Uh, most appreciated. And, and, of course, I think for South Africans, following the story of human rights abuse, they'll be very happy. There'll, there'll be a change in terms of the voting. Thank you for your time. Let's get back to our two guests. So, two South Africans, both advocates, Shabnam Mayat, uh, from Protect the Rohingya campaign. She heads it up. I understand Justine Fredericks also involved in the organization, but also the now newly elected, uh, and then you could probably hear the, this very often now, newly elected deputy. President of the Black Management Forum. Uh, Shabna, what, what do you make of, of Durko's position there? You know, unfortunately, in 2007, there was a bad vote. In September, um, they abstained from the vote to collect evidence on this genocide. Um, so, so we're hoping that now South African government realizes that when it's an apartheid that has grown into a full-blown genocide, it's no longer the time for dialogue or soft diplomacy. Now is the time to take serious steps and to act. Until this point, South Africa has been very soft. In fact, last year, we even traded arms and... Um, these are arms to, you know, uh, in the missile range. And one of the things the South African government said in the ministry when they were questioned about it was that at that point, uh, you know, the, the Myanmar was stable. But we all know for a fact that in 2017, it was far from stable. It's been critical since 2012. Because true, amongst the accusations at the time of the, uh, of the, of the abstention was that the notable uh, votes against uh, the resolution, the draft resolution, came from China and Russia. And Russia. Significant? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we're, we're part of BRICS, and so perhaps that may be swaying our vote or has swayed our vote in the past. I'm really hopeful to hear um, the spokesperson say that now the voting will be different. And, of course, the um, the directive that's gone out when it comes to voting on human rights issues. So we all ho- wait with bated breath to see what will happen in okay. the vote. Justine Fredericks, you want to add to that? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's always nice to say you want to be friends of a democratically elected government, but is it truly democratically elected when people in the country don't have a right to vote, who don't have citizenship, who are being chased out of the country, um, you know, villages being raised, uh, people being raped, women, be, you know, rape being used as a tool of torture, as a tool of war. How do you remain friends with people like that? I just have difficulty um, with our government's approach and, and the history. I mean, Shabnam's just pointed out in 2007, there was a resolution we, uh, we voted against calling on the Myanmar government. We had several opportunities. So that's um, incredible, eh? Yeah. Wow. To have done something positive as a friend of Myanmar. So clearly being friends uh, with Myanmar doesn't work. Okay. Let, let's move on then to, to where we are now. So, you know, Shabnam, somebody may be listening and say, well, you know what, that's the world according to people like the two of you and others, uh, it may not be true. There's always another side to a story. Is there another side to the story? Well, uh, when it comes to genocide, unfortunately, there's not, right? Um, and the independent fact-finding mission headed by Marzuki Darusman in August this year basically laid it out. This is genocide. Uh, you know, they st- you should start collecting and investigating and collecting material for, for later prosecutions. And the situation is bad and the, and the genocide is ongoing. And that's one of the reasons why there was such a big push to hold back the repatriation because on November 15th, Rohingya was supposed to start returning home uh, due to an agreement between Bangladesh and Myanmar. But can you send people home back to a place where they're trying to escape from, where they have no citizenship, where their homes have been raised to the ground, and where already just this month, more than a hundred have tried to leave by the sea. And we all know in 2015, you know, trafficking rings in Thailand um, were cracked down on, and it left 8,000 Rohingya just floating in the Andaman Sea. And now that it's a quiet time and the monsoon is done again, it seems like that will be happening again. So if it's okay in Rakhine State and everything is fine in Myanmar, then people wouldn't be leaving the way they are. Absolutely. So, so just just help us understand the difference here. The Rakhine state is used to that, and that's part of Myanmar, right? right. Uh, so, what's the position then with regard to the Rohingya people there, and then what's the position 
regarding the the people of Rohingya who've now been displaced and are therefore refugees effectively in uh, in Bangladesh. Maybe we'll get to the Bangladesh part just now. Let's talk about those that that still remain in Myanmar. So in effect, those that remain in um, Myanmar are in concentration camp-like conditions, no access to health care, no access to education, um, heavy extortion. They're allowed to leave, but when they come back to their villages, they're beaten and killed, and the military has surrounded their villages. Some villages have got like two rations in two months. So the situation is dire. They're literally starving them out, right? Um, Tasneem can probably tell you and, more. And direct attacks on them? Direct no. attacks, yes. Uh, extortion, villages, um, you know, military has been coming into the camps and there are 18 camps. Military has been coming into the camps. Um, last week they said some people tried to leave, be- beat them up in the camps. There's heavy torture. There's arbitrary arrests. Uh, it's a really dire situation in the camps. And Rohingya are trying to escape. I mean, just Naturally, in this yeah. month, there have been six boats already yeah, that were wow. intercepted. Okay. You want to add to that? Yeah, if, if I can just add to say that, um, so what the Myanmar government essentially is doing is they're now saying to the international world, we're closing the camps. Um, but the idea of closing the camps is because these people are living in, or the Rohingya are living in these makeshift camps. And they are entrenching the segregation by building, you know, brick and mortar buildings now to move them from, from this makeshift buildings into permanent buildings um, where they're investing in permanent uh, segregation rather than investing in integration. So they, they're replacing, and, and then they say that, you know, it, it will assist um, the Rohingyans in, in terms of labor that can assist to build these camps, but they're not given the option to go back to the villages that they were, where, that they fled they from. Exactly. Yeah. And maybe if I can just add, yeah. those villages, some of them have been signed for a 100-kilometer economic zone, and they've brought in other groupings of, uh, other ethnic groupings to resettle there. So it's not like they're letting them go back home, or they can go back home. So, so they've, been, they've been pushed out of their own space. What about Aung San Suu Kyi, the, the leader? I mean, what has she said or not said that has caused such a row about her? She said absolutely nothing. In fact, she's been supporting the military all along. She's been saying that, you know, even now with these two Reuters journalists, today is one year since they were um, arrested. I read that, yeah. And they, yeah. they've been arrested, they've been in prison, and they basically showed the massacre at Indin on photographic evidence, the 10 men, Rohingya men who were massacred. She hasn't even taken a step to make a statement or release them. And, and as a result, all these awards have been revoked. Unfortunately, UJ has not revoked their 2011 award, uh, nor has the government. UJ? Yes, our okay. UJ, or the Gandhi Trust in Durban, a 2009 award. But, you know, um, cities around Europe are revoking freedom of the cities. Uh, C- um, Canada has revoked her honorary citizenship. Um, as you said, amnesty earlier. So there's a host of awards that are, are being revoked. Of course, the Nobel Committee says that there's no way, there's no mechanism by which they can revoke their award. Which is interesting. Well, you, you want to comment on that? Aung San Suu Kyi and her role? Yeah, she... Look, she hasn't said anything. Um, in, in, in essence, she's, she's, she's implicitly, um, you know, supported the military. Um, and I think that she's, she's just, you know, a law unto herself. She, she, she speaks about at least 50% of the villages, you know, having not been burnt. I mean, if 50% are burnt, she's not talking <laughs> about the, yeah, the wow. balance. Um, and I mean, like, like um, Shabnam says, it's, it's sad that... Um, you know, South Africa, as 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 a leading um, as a leading moral authority on crimes of apartheid, if if we ourselves, I mean, the rest of the world look at us, if we are not stripping her of her awards, then you know, there's 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 a lot. Which to brings be. me on to another thing. What what can South Africa do? So, okay, I think 
from a Durko point, we'll see a dramatic change next week, and, and, and that will hopefully cascade down to others. What more would you want South African people to do besides institutions? I think stronger statements, because last year the government put out a statement which said all parties should should behave better, basically. There are no all parties in a genocide, right? There's an aggressor and there's a victim. So I think statements should be stronger. I think there should be more interaction um, with the Myanmar embassy locally um, and Burma Campaign UK yesterday put out a list of 49 companies who are actually um, working with the military. So it's not boycotting Myanmar in general, but um, Myanmar military um, business deals. Basically, Uh, Visa card is on those, a whole lot of Chinese organizations, uh, Telenor previously. And and so that's something that we can do. You know, South Africa can seriously look at these companies because, in effect, it was like companies who assisted apartheid in South Africa. And so those companies need need to be boycotted. All right. Incredibly, we've got three minutes or so to go. So so let's go go back then to to Bangladesh and this place called Cox's Bazaar. Uh, Perhaps just tell me about so. You know, who's living there? These are, of course, people from Myanmar. Who's there? How many people? What's what's the conditions of life that they experience now? Yeah, so um, in Cox's Bazaar, um, in the camps itself, I mean, the situation is dire. Um, people have, they also have, you know, they have rations. They have X amount of food that they get per day. Um, there's also limited, you know, sanitation. I think last year, just a week after we left, there was an outbreak of diphtheria. So the conditions in the camp itself, I mean, just going in the camp, you, you get the smell. You, you can, there's no sanitation. Um, people who live in the camp also, what was sad for me what, that I personally experienced last year and then also this year is the fact that um, it seems like infrastructure around the camps are being sort of um, enhanced. So to me, this says this is now no longer a temporary situation. Mm. People are starting now to. This has now become normalised. They are now starting to live there. This is their home. In but but, but having said that, is it a good thing that Bangladesh at least are looking after them? I'm saying that with inverted commas. Um, I don't. I don't know if it's. If look, at least they. You know, it wasn't a country that closed their borders and said we don't want you. Um, it's a difficult one because obviously Bangladesh is getting aid. They're getting millions and billions of you know millions of of US dollars. So. In effect, what's happening is it's, it's boosting the economy because people are giving money. They're not sending product into the camp. So the bricks have to be bought in Bangladesh. The rice has got to be bought right there. So this so is a, internal trade. Based the, on the, there's this idea amongst the, the Bangladeshi that when we spoke to them at the hotels where we stayed and they, they you know, there's this kind of resentment towards the Rohingya. Uh, Bangladeshi seem to think that they're taking away from the economy, um, notwithstanding the fact that these people aren't allowed to leave the camp that they can't work there, that they're not integrated into the education system. So the sad part for me when I went last year and again this year is that there are hundreds of kids running around playing the whole day. There's obviously no schooling happening. Yeah. Final word, Shabda Mike, in terms of uh, your, your thoughts on that and, and then what needs to happen next? I think what needs to happen is the South African public needs to accept that there's no action too small when we're fighting injustice. So there's something you can do. There are embassies you can call. There's boycotts that you can start. And the first step, of course, in in any major um, international situation is to educate yourself. So, you know, go out there. There's more than enough information that's available because the reality is that genocide is everyone's problem. You know, Absolutely. And, and that's how, how, should we, how can we find out more about it? I mean, your, your organization? Well, you can find us on at Protect Rohingya on Twitter. We're on Facebook as well. But, I mean, every news source has been covering the genocide. Absolutely. So the information is... But feel free to tomorrow. tweet us as well. Certainly tweet SFM Radio and myself. I'll certainly share that as well. Appreciate Thank your you. time. It's a, it's a time to meet, but under sort of horrific circumstances. That's the way it seems like. Uh, Shabna Maid, 
the of the Protect the Rohingya campaign, Justine Fredericks, also from the same organization, but also the deputy president of the Black Management Forum, talking about the plight of the uh, the Rohingya people, once of Myanmar, not there any longer. It's a horrific story. We're going to get into innovation in a moment.